How do you bring MedTech to market? My name is Karen Brown and I'm your host. On MedTechRx, you'll hear from the experts, people who have worked for us, people we've worked with, and the people we see advancing MedTech innovation. I don't have to tell you this is a complex industry. I know because I've lived it. After receiving my PharmD and working on clinical trials in academia, pharma, and a global med device CRO, I'm building my own firm. Tune in and enjoy. Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining me on MedTech RX, where we talk to the experts who bring health innovation to market, whether it be regulatory affairs, market access teams, commercialization strategy experts, or clinical trial experts. We like to bring in people who can talk about bringing health innovation to market and interview them to just get a better understanding of how they got to where they are today, all the pitfalls, all the wins, and any advice that they have to bring to you. Unfortunately, we haven't been able to record for the last couple of weeks. I've been busy on a couple exciting projects that I was really proud of and able to get across the finish line. And so today I really wanted to fly solo and give a little bit more context, but we do have a couple really awesome experts who are coming on later this month and through December, talking more about that commercialization strategy piece, raising money, and kind of that global market thinking about bringing your innovation to a country out of the US. And so I'm very excited to bring these experts on. But for today, what I want to focus on is the Pathways to Health Equity Symposium that I just launched. And I think we're going to dive into the symposium all about access to clinical trials in rural communities. But we're also going to just chat through my background and and why I'm so passionate about running clinical trials and why I started Clio. And really, maybe I just hope that someone in the audience who would be listening, who's early in their career, maybe even still graduating and finishing up a degree, whether it be in like the biomedical sciences or a healthcare profession. I think that this is such a fantastic field to get your degree in, get a start in, but it gives you so many opportunities to go start your own business or go start working in industry or government or whatever the place may be, but you have so many options. And that's certainly how I felt when I graduated with my pharmacy degree and why I just like sharing some of my story because I think that hopefully it would resonate with you or that it would give a little bit of guidance so that even if you listen to it now, you're not quite ready to step out on your own or to make a career transition, no matter how drastic that might look like. And just give you some context to have in your back pocket for maybe that day when you decide that you want to leave your job in the pharmacy world or where you are working as a clinical trial manager for a ginormous corporate firm and have gained a lot of expertise but are ready to go out on your own. So we'll start out with the symposium. Like I said, it was called the Pathways to Health Equity Access to Clinical Trials in Rural Communities Symposium. I hosted it because a lot of you may not know, but I've always had a research position at the University of Montana, and I'm very proud to have had it, whether it be an appointment of 10 hours a week or a full-time appointment. I've been able to really grow a huge network and grow my skill sets in ways that I wouldn't have been able to if I would have just graduated from college 
got a couple consulting gigs and been like, oh, full steam ahead. Let me start my own contract research organization. It definitely wasn't like that. And it's been something that I probably haven't shared enough of because I'm very proud of the work that I've been able to do between getting my PharmD, finishing up my postdoc, just working in really, really interesting settings from a clinical research standpoint and being able to grow my own research programs. I think that's one thing that's really underappreciated in the academic setting. We all probably have our own opinions about academia and higher education, and that's not what I want to dive into today. But what I really love about working as a at having a research position in an academic setting is that you really get to play around it with the idea of being an entrepreneur. And sometimes people don't even realize it while they're doing it or what some people might call an intrapreneur, whatever makes sense to you. So with the symposium, this was a symposium that we were getting a sponsorship from Genentech for to host. And we wanted to focus it on access to clinical trials because that's obviously my passion and and where I'd love to build some more programs and build some more infrastructure for Montana. And kind of where Uh, A lot of our pharmaceutical companies who sponsored us wanted us to go was to focus really heavily in on tribal populations. And that's because my mentor, Dr. Erica Woodall, has had a 16-year partnership with the Confederated Salish and Kootenai tribes up on the Flathead Reservation, about 30 minutes north of Missoula, where we live. I actually started doing clinical research in her lab when I was a student before I had even done pharmacy school. And I ended up going back and doing a postdoc with her so that I could continue that work. And really, I shared this at the symposium. And I think it really resonated with quite a few people talking about doing something unique, like setting up a clinical research program. And it was actually a genetics research program with the Confederated Salish and Kootenai back, I think, in 2007 or 2008. And at that time, it was really not something that was well accepted. It wasn't something that you could just go in and there was a playbook for making these research relationships. And there was a lot of distrust. And I think we could go into some of the historical context for why that distrust is there. And hopefully that was really well accepted at this point. That distrust is well earned when it comes to clinical research and developing academic research partnerships. But my mentor, Dr. Woodall, was able to successfully build these relationships, build up a partnership, really get in and understand what the unique barriers were. And these are really tangible things that we've been able to work on over the last 16 years. And in the partnership, I've been involved for the last five or six Because I think a lot of people can hear some of these barriers to clinical research and how do we diversify clinical research populations. And a lot of it becomes something that we can't treat the same way across populations. So I think there's been a significant amount of work that's been done with African-American populations, maybe even Latino populations. But I really don't think that we're quite there for indigenous or tribal populations from my stand, from my point of view, because I think that some of this information just hasn't been broadly shared and 
oftentimes when I talk about the barriers or the concerns that come up with our tribal populations and the partners that we've brought into this research program, what they share, because we go into these conversations and some of their primary concerns might line up with more of these marginalized populations, like potentially just being able to consider more of those social determinants of health that you need to take into account before someone can really feel that security to be able to dedicate that amount of time and that amount of effort to participating in a clinical trial, whether that be housing security, transportation, food security. All of these things are so important. And I think I see that a lot across many populations. But particularly with the indigenous populations, what we are thinking about is kind of one of those It can become such a hot political topic. And some of these concerns that we look at are whether or not a pharmaceutical company will respect tribal members and tribal sovereignty. So these are independent nations with their own governing boards. And just like you would need ethics committee approval, IRB approvals across countries, like we should really be considering this from the standpoint of respecting tribal sovereignty. So with our research program, what we were able to do was to have our university IRB seed control and oversight to the tribal IRB that is housed within the tribally controlled college up there, the Salish and Kootenai College. And some of the questions that are on that IRB application are more about the taking into consideration the cultural sensitivities and what information could be disseminated that might potentially put the community at risk. And there's that tribal sovereignty piece, there's the data sharing piece, and really understanding who owns the data. Am I able to take out my samples? Am I able to remove the data that you're collecting from me at any point? And so all of these conversations need to happen and all of that education really needs to happen. And we have to be a little bit more thoughtful as we go down this path and not have it be something that turns into more of the virtue signaling. I think a lot of pharmaceutical companies have very laudable goals for diversifying research populations and we can host these symposiums and they're really great in in a community like ours where where research a lot of people don't even know that clinical research or clinical trials are even an option let alone how to navigate the network or that pathway and get that information and actually be able to participate and oftentimes when they do have do end up deciding that they would like to participate they end up having to go to Seattle or Denver or Salt Lake and adding another nine-hour commute to be able to participate in a clinical trial, obviously, is just an additional barrier that some of these geographically remote populations are facing when they consider whether to participate in a clinical trial. So that was our background and why we were reached out to by Genentech, a major pharmaceutical company, and why a lot of the other pharmaceutical companies were able to offer sponsorship to us because we wanted to dive into these issues. And we ended up launching the symposium and planning for it and, and getting everything set up 
back in at the end of June, I believe. And we had to get the symposium done by the end of the year. So we chose early November trying to combat any weather issues that we might face up here in Montana and allow people to come in for the symposium. And we were able to bring a lot of diverse perspectives. We had a representative who spoke from the FDA. We had a physician panel. We had clinical research coordinator, clinical research director, recruitment specialists, broadly more of that researcher panel. And we also ended up putting together some panels for patients and patient advocates and the industry representatives who joined us for the symposium because of their sponsorships. And it was really great to be able to bring in these unique perspectives and these unique perspectives who were representative of our community. I think that something that is really important when you're trying to bring in clinical research to a community that is fairly research naive, I think it does come down to that education piece. Multiple times throughout the symposium, we would be speaking to patients or even the patients on the panel, and they essentially said that before they participated in a clinical trial, they had no idea that what a clinical trial was. And they surely didn't think that if there was any research or a clinical trial that they would be able to get into one. And it was really interesting to be able to speak to these people who are interacting because I think a lot of the conversations end up starting from the sponsor level or the CRO level or the technology vendor level. And we really just hope in the industry that we can get it to trickle down and figure out what works. And really, from my perspective, I loved that we started with this. I loved that we weren't diving in and being very targeted into a very marginalized community that even though we have this longstanding partnership, that we didn't necessarily feel great about saying, hey, we've been working with you for the last 16 years, but now we're going to bring in some pharmaceutical company reps. Is that cool with you? That definitely was not our approach and it was not going to be our approach. And I really loved getting that diverse perspective from rural populations because I do see the the potential for a lot of these initiatives to really create more of a divide between the populations that have been well represented in clinical trials from a race or ethnicity standpoint, but not necessarily from a geographical standpoint or a lifestyle standpoint. The people who we need to be making innovate innovative products in the healthcare field, whether it be a device or a drug or a diagnostic that work for a representative sample of the U.S. population. And that includes people who are an hour away from a metropolitan or even a micropolitan center, which is most of Montana. And I think it can do a lot of good for a community that is living in a very geographically remote resource limited area because bringing in that infrastructure and diversifying income streams and being able to provide care from the professional healthcare setting standpoint to these populations is always a challenge. And so bringing in that infrastructure and the resources that come with clinical trials and being a little bit more mindful of it because of these initiatives that are happening right now to diversify research populations, I think would really be beneficial to communities. And so that was really what the symposium was about. We had all of these very diverse perspectives 
primarily focused on that site level piece where we were talking to the physicians who would interact with patients. We were hearing from the researcher coordinators who are actually going in and consenting patients and working with the patients to be able to advocate for research or advocate for innovative treatment options and really who become that frontline that advocates for a pharmaceutical company's product when they believe in it and when it's the right fit and is able to talk to a patient and build a relationship with a patient. Like I think that's so underappreciated how much work goes into building those relationships, especially in a setting like this where you're starting from zero. You're starting from not even knowing what a clinical trial is and being in disbelief that it's an option that your healthcare provider is presenting to you. And so I thought that it was a really great symposium. We had a lot of great feedback from it. We had a keynote speaker, Denise Dillard, Dr. Denise Dillard from the Washington State University, who has spent her entire career working on clinical research projects with American Indian and Alaska Native populations and who has been part of our research program for a good chunk of the last 16 years. And we allowed that day one to be more of that tribal considerations piece. And then day two, we had a full day. We went from eight o'clock to five o'clock and it was jam-packed with just a lot of really great content. And in fact, we just got another message that more sponsors would be interested in sponsoring us for a second symposium to do this again and to really set the stage for building community partnerships. And I wanted to share that all with you because I think that having those types of opportunities aren't necessarily within the wheelhouse of what Clio does. Clio runs as a contract research organization that runs clinical trials and does regulatory submissions and really works on supporting innovators, bringing their product to market or having their product find more success in market. And we hold a lot of the same values that I carry when I am working in the academic setting too, in more of the research setting in terms of just like prioritizing relationships and trying our best to work with sites and prioritizing that like contract research organization site relationship or even drilling down more to that clinical research associate clinical research coordinator relationship. And we don't do it great every single time. And this industry can be really hard with personalities and trying to build those relationships. And sometimes as the CRO, you feel like you're getting that you're just taking it from all sides and trying to smooth waters. And I think that a lot of what I do outside of the universe and the programs that I'm building with the community from more of an academic research standpoint are just so, so rewarding to me. And I don't say that lightly. I, I say like I'll, I gave up spending the 4th of July this year with my family to go up to the reservation to do a cultural and history tour with one of our community advisory board members. And I absolutely loved it. And it's just one of those things where we're building those relationships and really understanding both the impact of clinical research on a community, but also the level of work that it takes to bring 
clinical research to a community has really lent well to my development as a clinical research professional. And I think that it's just really important to maybe take a step back, especially in this field, if you're a healthcare professional who's wanting to become an entrepreneur or step out on your own and maybe transition industries to think about these opportunities to build up your skill set and to do what works best for you. So I don't know a ton of people who would be building businesses and and also really be advocating for W2 positions as well. Like I said, I've always had a W2 position. It might have been 40 hours a week, but it might have been 10 hours a week, but I've always wanted to maintain that relationship because I've gotten so rewarded from being able to build programs that wouldn't be possible for me to build just bootstrapping a company. And I hope that more people consider that route. And even if you're very passionate and maybe being influenced by people to become an entrepreneur, that you can take a step back and be like, what do I actually want to do? And what skills do I need to develop to be able to do these big lofty goals? And can I get realistic about the timeline? Maybe I can spend the next couple of years in a W-2 position that gives me a lot of those skills and a lot of those abilities to learn to get mentorship. Everyone's always looking for a mentor. And I think it's funny. I've seen a couple different business influencers say, you want to get a mentor, go get a job. And I obviously don't advocate for people who stay in a position because they feel like they have those golden handcuffs on or get that feeling of being trapped. Because honestly, I've never actually felt that. And I have done the grunt work, but I've also been very rewarded in in the skill set that comes from doing the grunt work in in a job and now in my later 20s am able to really set out to build and that's my personality and what i love to do in work is to build programs so talking about the pathways to health equity program i saw it as more of a culmination of many combined years of experience and a lot of passion for bringing clinical research to rural and tribal populations. But I also saw it as this pivotal point of just the start of partnering with pharmaceutical companies and understanding how to really get into communities and to do it right, do it appropriately, do it from a culturally sensitive standpoint and not to make the missteps that we've seen recently in in some of the programs that have maybe not been a very proactive in trying to to be culturally sensitive when they recruit american indian populations and so i really enjoyed the symposium it was obviously a ton of work in montana it's not and one of our panelists actually said in a resource limited area like this a lot of hands don't make the work small. It's just you're doing everything because you're the expert on it and kind of really embedded into starting and building a program. And honestly, I think that's the way it should be. This was the first event that I had hosted outside of my wedding. And I really did pretty 95% of the work because I knew that it was going to be successful. I had a good feeling about it. I had 
a good feeling about it being just the start and having multiple events, multiple focus groups, hopefully bringing in some trials in the next couple of years, building out a clinical research center at the university, all of these big lofty goals that this was just such a tiny piece of. And I just wanted to make sure that I understood exactly how to do it before I could delegate any of it out. And I was very proud of the outcome of the symposium. To let you behind the curtain a little bit, we are going to create more of a steering committee or a working group to be able to continue this work. And like I said, I'm very passionate about working on those things and building clinical research infrastructure in the way that makes sense for building within the university and then also building clinical research infrastructure through Clio because I love Clio. It's my baby. But I often think instead, I don't always think about it in terms of splitting my attention. And I think a lot of people will tell you that you're splitting your attention. And I think if you're working towards a very similar mission and it's like multiple routes that you're bringing along in one pathway and then a completely separate pathway. As long as you're working towards that same vision and you have that aligned, I really didn't see it as splitting my attention. In terms of the work hours, obviously I did have to split my attention. And in some ways, when I'm going all in on the symposium, building and growing Leo is going to take a backseat. And I think people can understand that and people can see the value in it. And people will tell you that you need to focus on one thing and do it over and over again until you get it quite right. And there's probably industries where that makes a lot of sense. But because of where I am in my career and everything that I've been able to build and how much, how rewarded I am from building in Clio and building in the university, I feel really, really very blessed, honestly, for the opportunities that come my way. But I also feel like it's helped me grow a lot. It's helped me manage my ego as you're building businesses and finding success. It's really been an opportunity for me to learn when something can take the back seat and still be like driving along, still be making progress. But maybe this initiative takes the back seat right now and this initiative blows up, but it's going to drag it along with it. So Hopefully that makes sense. Hopefully that gives you a little bit further context on some of my background and why I love working clinical research and why I love clinical trials. I really do. Rose Weinstein said on a couple podcasts ago, I love to live and breathe a product and I love to live and breathe a, a protocol and just being able to kind of go into it like it's a little investigation, get really deep into the data and say, huh, let's like collectively figure this out together. And it's not the guinea pig narrative. It's that we're on a pathway to figure out how to use this product best that's been tested in in multiple different levels. And that's getting really close to good for humanity. And thank you so much for being a part of this investigative route. I love digging into data. I actually love working as a clinical research associate, like I still do because I've gotten my hands dirty on the last couple trials that we've done and done through Clio. And I love reading patient charts and following the patient journey during that source data review, source data verification process. 
And I really just, I believe in the benefits of clinical research and the benefits of bringing it into a community. And I think that I'm just ready to be more collaborative and work towards this mission to just grow that infrastructure and to benefit patients. And so that's why I've been busy in the last couple of weeks. And I will be bringing on very exciting guests next month and the month afterwards to wrap up season one. But I was really excited to be able to just take a step back and talk about my background and all of these things that make up Karen Brown, clinical research, academia, health innovation, rural health, American Indian and Alaska Native health, and just kind of talk about why clinical research is so important to me. So I hope you enjoyed this. I hope maybe if you tuned in and are interested in clinical research or interested in entrepreneurship that you got some little nugget of wisdom out of this and tune in later this month to hear from commercialization experts, global market experts, and talk about a little bit more about bringing health innovation to market. Thanks, everyone.